Well, Happy New Year! And Feliz Año Nuevo to all of our Hispanic and Latino brothers and sisters. Great to see all of you guys here at the start of a brand new year. This is a time when we are making resolutions, right? Big goals. Last year's behind us, starting off a new year, and we're making some changes, making decisions. I wonder how many of you have ever made a big decision without counting the cost? Anybody? And you, and you remember it well. I made that big decision without counting the cost. It was the first car I ever owned. My favorite car I ever owned. It was a 1986 cherry red Chevy Camaro. Sweet ride. Love that car. Love that car. I, I, I remember the first thing. And you got you to imagine me like... Uh, cruising down Pat Booker Road, right? T-tops open, my mullet flowing in the wind, listening to a little Joshua Tree from U2. And I drove it over to my, my best bud, Matt Robertson's house, and then uh, showed him my car. And then I went over to the, to the girl I was trying to catch her attention, the girl I was interested. I went over to her street. And uh, while I was over there, I was turned up the volume. And you can imagine me, I was like... You know, singing a little U2, like, I can't live with or without you. I mean, I'm a terrible singer, but it's from my heart. And um, I knew that if I waited long enough, like, I, I waited. And I know it sounds creepy, but I knew if she saw me in my red Chevy Camaro, she couldn't resist. She'd be all mine. She never came out of the door that day. And I promised my dad that I'd meet him at the car insurance office to get insurance for my vehicle. So I went over there and met Pops. And uh, we talked to the agent. And he was there. I discovered that the cost of insurance for one year would be higher than the whole cost of the car itself. My Pops looked at me in the eye and said, it's time to go back to that used car lot and get yourself another car. And I did. He said it would be a better car because the insurance would be lower and it would be more economical. So guess what my new car was? A 1983 Toyota Corolla. <laughs> it was as red as I could get it. I took my entire high school graduation money and upgraded the sound system in my Toyota Corolla. Do you know that I never had a date from that moment on for the next two years, and I blamed the Corolla. What happened was I had failed to count the cost. I had, it was a big decision. It was a big purchase, and I failed to count the cost. And here we are at the beginning of the year. And what we do is we, we make goals, right? But I wonder, some of you have already made new re resolutions. And I wonder how many of the resolutions, how many of the changes, how many of the goals have to do with you? Is it, is it a bigger car, a bigger house? Is it more money? Is it something changes that it's going to affect? And I'm all for making changes that, to improve ourselves. But what can happen in a Western context is we can become so focused on ourselves. We can become so focused on what I can get because we live in a, a culture that's it's, it's driven for the consumer, right? We're never happy until we get more and more. And it sounds innocent. It starts innocent enough, right? Like we want to be noticed. We want to improve. We, we want more social media followers or likes or we compare ourselves to others. But then it can, if self is the center, we start to, we start to buy into what the world's saying and to focus on self. And, and, and we use words like self-esteem and self-worth and self-care and self-love. And when self is the center, Jesus is not. 
When self is at the center, Jesus is not. Al-Rahab, who was the caliph of Spain in 912 AD, said this, I have no reigned above 50 years in peace or victory. Riches and honor, powers and pleasures have awaited on my call. In this situation, I have diligently numbered the days of pure and genuine happiness which have fallen to my lot. They amount to 14. O man, place not thy confidence in this present world. Place not thy confidence in this present world. We live with attention, don't we? We see the the values of this world and we feel pulled to to conform. We feel pulled and we're lured into temptation to, to allow ourselves to be at the center. And oftentimes it's in direct contrast to what the words of Christ are, to what the word of God says. So we're going to discover that. I'm so glad that you're here for the start of our brand new series called Altered Family altered family. We are going to discover uh, the importance of the the altar uh, and and how it can change our marriage, change us personally, change our family. I'm not sure what your faith tradition is growing up, but I wonder if, if you did grow up, maybe in church, was an altar significant? Was it part of it? Maybe you were married at an altar, or you can remember taking the Lord's Supper or Eucharist, and, and the elements were at an altar. An altar simply means it's a, it's a raised object or an area where you can honor God. It comes from a Hebrew word that literally means to, to offer, to sacrifice. I mean, if you've read through the Old Testament, you know the significance of the altar, right? And, and we see the, the, the word altar used in the New Testament as well. I grew up, my dad was a pastor, and, and, and so there were always altars at the front of the room of the church. He always had a prayer room in the back of the, of the church, and there was always an altar there. I could see him. I have memories of my dad laying and, and, and kneeling at an altar. I, I, some of my most empower, powerful spiritual encounters with God were, were at a, a tear-stained altar where I would tarry or wait in the presence of the Lord while I was not in a hurry, and, and I humble myself in the presence of God at, a, at an altar. And I wonder if in, in, a, in a day and a time where we look at the altar and we think of it as old-fashioned or we, we've lost the importance of an altar. So what can this look like? Uh, I want to invite you back next Sunday because we're going to talk about how the altar is significant in, in your marriage, not just when you get married. And, and I was in abiding with the Lord yesterday and during my devotional time with God, I felt like the Holy Spirit revealed five things that you must Lay at the altar to have a healthy and strong marriage. I want to invite you back to discover those from the word of God next week. After that, we're going to talk about the importance of the the, the altar as it relates to your family and your children, how it can change those dynamics for the good when you make Christ and the word of God and the altar a, a priority. Give you very practical ways to strengthen your family. But today we're going to talk about you personally and how the altar has significance. Because really, your, your family can't change, your marriage can't change unless you're changed, right? Like you cannot lead others where you have not been. God's got to do something in you first to model and for you to lead the way. It's like, have you ever been on an airplane? And they've asked you if you, want to, if you sit, you want more aisle space, where, where do you sit? 
near the wing, right? Like where the window is. But before you can help others, they say you've got to help yourself. Before you can help others, you've got to put the oxygen mask on yourself. And that's what today is. Today's a moment to really look at the words of Christ and say, all right, Lord, I come before you with an open heart, open hands, open mind to hear the word of God, to speak to me and, and to, to humble myself in your presence of, of what this could mean for me. And that's what we're going to do today. So take out your Bibles and turn with me to the gospel of Luke chapter nine, Luke chapter nine, third book of the New Testament. And this is a, a time where, man, Jesus is, is getting a lot of exposure. He's done some healings, miracles, and a lot of attention has come to him. Uh, the word has gotten out. So many people want to be a part of the, the Jesus band. And they're excited to what he's going to do next. Like it was not uncommon for him to show up and start teaching where there'd be thousands of people that came to hear him. And, and it, so it was in vogue. It was very popular. It was kind of a trendy thing to follow this, this new Jesus. Who, who is, is he the Messiah? Is he the one who's going to deliver us from the oppression of the Romans? Is he the one who Isaiah and the prophets had talked about? So there was a lot of curiosity, a lot of uh, attention of following Jesus and and Jesus discerned that people who were following him really didn't understand. They weren't counting the cost. They, their motivation of their heart wasn't good. And I think Jesus' words, I'm convinced that his words are as relevant today as they were over 2,000 years ago. Again, we live in a Western society where we oftentimes make decisions on the return on the investment, on what it benefits us. How does it bring value to me? And, and so we can even treat that to Christianity, right? Like if we just receive the gift and we say a simple prayer, we're good to go, right? And nothing else has to change. But that is often contrary to the words of Jesus. So Jesus doesn't say, follow me and, 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 and I'll, I'll build up your self-esteem, your self-worth and make everything in your life just wonderful. These are some tough words that we're going to look at, but they're the words of Jesus. So starting in verse 23, he says, then he said to them all. He's not just talking to his, his apostles. He's, he's talking to all, all of us as well. He says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him what? Deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? Jesus is saying, what, what good is it if you gained everything? You, you accumulate great wealth. You have a, a big house. You have the, the biggest job and you've, you've competed and you've, and you've done all of these things and you've gained everything that has temporal value. But at the end, you've lost your soul. At the end, you've lost your marriage. At the end, you've lost your children. You've lost the heart of those. You didn't care about those who were around you who were lost and hurting and poor. You were so consumed with yourself. Was it worth it? Was it worth it? So let us consider the words of Jesus today and understand that in this passage that he's telling us we must understand three things very clearly. Three things that we must understand before making a decision, before making goals and resolutions. He's saying, how can I be more outward focused? How can I have the mind of Christ, the mind of God when I make decisions? Decisions that could set the tone not only for the rest of the year, but even longer. And so first we must understand the cost. 
Understand that there is a cost, and that cost, Jesus says, is to deny yourself. To deny yourself. It's a word that literally means to renounce or disown. It's the same word that Jesus used to tell Peter, who after being with him for three years, said, you're going to deny me three times. This was at the time of, near his arrest and crucifixion, where he prophesied, Peter, you think you're fit to follow me, but there's still something inside of you that's going to cause you to die. Peter objected. He was like, this is not true, Lord. But the reality was when Jesus was arrested and he was led away, that Peter denied Jesus three times before the rooster made his sound. Three times. And Jesus says that, the word of God says that Peter wept bitterly. He, 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 he was filled with remorse. He, he remembered Jesus' words said that, who said, if you were ashamed in front of me, I'll be ashamed of my father. He thought it was over. Why did Peter deny Jesus? He denied Jesus because there was too much self in him. There was too much self. There was too much pride. Pride is the root of, of many kinds of sins and evils. And, and there was too much self in Peter. Self, too much self will cause, cause, had caused Peter to deny God. It was too much self that caused Adam and Eve to deny God. There's too much self that caused the devil to deny God. And so will you deny God or will you deny yourself? For Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters. You will love one and hate the other. And so today, would you consider denying yourself, to humble yourself in the presence of the Lord and saying, God, is there any area in my life? There's nothing off limits because if I don't deny myself, clearly you are not Lord. And see, when Jesus is, is implying, he's very direct in saying, denying himself, he, he's making this demand of total allegiance, revealing himself as Lord. Not as a burden, not something you have to, but he's saying it in, in love. He's, he's not making this demand of something he never did. Right? E. Stanley Jones wrote this wonderful book called Victory Through Surrender. It's one of my favorite books. And in it, he, he reveals the truth that Jesus never made a demand that he would did not give himself. For did not Jesus deny himself? Right? Did not he deny all the, the wonderful rights he had in heaven when he came according to Philippians chapter 2 to this earth in humility? He came as a servant. He drank the cup of suffering and he laid down his life on the cross. He denied himself for the good of his, his father and his kingdom and his will and for his love for you as well. So when we come, we must deny ourselves. So what does that look like? Well, we, we renounce any kind of self-exaltation so that we can exalt the king of kings. Is that not our, our chief end in life? Our, our purpose is to glorify God in all that we say and do and the motive of our hearts. We, we renounce our self-will, trying to have control, trying to manipulate, trying to have things go our way so that we can fulfill the will of God. We renounce all self-seeking pleasures that are apart from God so we can seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness. So in this, we find freedom. He who knows the, the son and knows the truth will be set free and there's no greater freedom when you submit to the lordship of Christ and you submit yourself to God and say, Lord, I, I don't want to be in control. I, I don't want to have things go just my preferences, but I want to find myself 
And you find yourself as you lose yourself for Christ, for the cause of Christ. So what is that one area that the Lord wants to put his finger on, to shine his light on? This one area that you may be holding back. And as we're in the presence of the Lord, and as we look and examine the words of Jesus, and as we spend time at the altar, be open to God, be teachable. What is that one area? For oftentimes, it's that there's just one area that we just hold on to, that one sin, that one relationship. And the Lord's saying, I-, I want you to let go. I want you to trust me with this. I want you to surrender. When you are surrendered to Christ, it's so freeing because you don't have to perform. You don't have to pretend. You can take off the mask. You can, you can give it to the Lord and in, in finding and through surrender that you gain so much. Missionary and martyr Jim Elliott said this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And so what is it that you need to surrender? What is it that, that the Lord is leading you to deny, to deny? So first we must deny ourselves and understand there is a cost. Second, we must understand that there is a cross, that there is a cross. He says in scripture, if anyone would desire to come after me, let him take up his cross. How often? Daily. When you look at the verb tense of denying yourself and taking up the cross daily, it's, it's not uh, meant to be understood as a one-time event, but rather a continual process. It is the way when following Christ, that there's this continual, this daily denying of ourselves, this taking up of this cross daily. I think some of us, we think of when it, what it means to take up the cross is, is putting up with a momentary uh, pleasure or putting up with a difficult situation, uh, putting up with a difficult spouse or a painful disease or a tough mother-in-law, right? Like, like just putting up with that, I'm bearing my cross. I'm, and, and really, Jesus' early listeners would have understood this. Really, the, the cross was a tool and a means through a, a very torturous and slow death. To take up the cross meant to die, to die. And understand that Jesus' words when he taught his followers, if you would come after me, that you take up his cross daily, they would have seen what the Romans were doing to their fellow Jews. And that would one day come true with Jesus. Again, he didn't ask what he wouldn't be willing to do. And so Jesus literally, this, was not, this no longer became figurative language. It no longer became a metaphor. Jesus literally took up his cross. It's the good news of the gospel that the wrath of God was appeased when Jesus hung on the cross naked and in pain and blood spilled and there were nails. And he did this for the forgiveness and the salvation of you. For you, he loved you so much that he became the substitution, the atonement. He took up his cross and he's saying, would you take up your cross for me? See, in our relationship with God and and with ourselves and with others, we've got to deny ourselves. When you deny yourself and you empty yourself, you're allowed, you, you, you put yourself in the posture of receiving God's presence, receiving his His grace to be able to obey and to fulfill what God has for you. And and, and you humble yourself. Your response to God as a result of sin or pride must be, I'm sorry. When we run into trouble with those that we love and are in relationship with, when you have no more self and you've emptied yourself of pride and you take up that, that cross and through your brokenness and humility, you can freely say, I'm sorry. 
I, I, you, can, you can truly see the value in this. Paul wrote in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. As you can see, this process of self-denial and taking up the cross is not opposed to God's grace, but it is right in line with it. The grace of God is the means that you can continually deny yourself. And taking up your cross, not meant to be burdensome, but out of love, it becomes great freedom. 2 Corinthians 10.5, Paul also writes, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey. We take every thought into complete captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ. So this is how it works. It happens that when we're in the word of God, when you're abiding and spending time with the Lord, maybe in the morning time, you open up God's word, and maybe at the beginning of the year, you really thought, okay, God, I want to spend more time in, in the word. Maybe last year, as I evaluate, I didn't. There were several days or weeks that I didn't spend time, but I want to make it a priority. So you, you develop a reading plan, right? Maybe you're going to read through the New Testament this year or the whole Bible, and, and so you commit yourself and you humble yourself and you say, God, I want to make your truth applicable every day. Holy Spirit, help me, guide me, lead me into truth. But we do this when you make the, the, the law of God, the word of God, and you begin to meditate and you hide it in your heart, then what happens is it starts affecting your thought life. It affects the, the confession of your mouth and the meditation of your heart. So you start thinking differently. And you live in a, in a world where there's warfare and there's tension and there's temptation and there's people around who are conformed to a, a set of values that are contrary to the word of God. And, you, and there's always this temptation or maybe these decisions that, that, that give in to the temptation to sin. So how do you overcome that? Well, it happens when you renew your mind. Metanoia, it's, it's a word repentance, to change your mind, to renew your mind through the truth of the word of God, to understand the character and nature and the life and teachings of Jesus through the gospels. And so when you have greedy thoughts, when you have thoughts of envy and jealousy, you, those, those thoughts, if you, if you think of those thoughts, it's going to affect your actions, Right? So at that very moment that you're tempted to have these thoughts, you allow your, your mind to just say, Lord, I want to walk in the spirit. I'm denying myself of those thoughts in the name of Jesus. And, and so I, I bring them under the, the obedience of Christ and, and no longer, I want to let go. And I, Lord, you just call upon the name of Jesus and allow him to fill you with scripture. And, and instead of being envious, you pray, Lord, bless that person. Lord, I'm content with what you've given me. I want to steward well what you've entrusted with me. When the enemy brings temptation of sexual thoughts and lust, that's when you bring those thoughts. You say, Lord, I, I renounce those thoughts. Those are lies from the enemy meant to bring me harm, meant to bring me harm with my relationship. And so now, Father, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look at a woman with lust. According to Job 31, Jesus, you said, if I, if I, if I lust with eyes, I've committed adultery in my heart. And so help me to flee sexual immorality. Help me to walk after you. Help me to be pure before you. You see, this, this is a moment that's warfare. And you, you, you renew your mind. When you have thoughts that are selfish, you say, God, I have this right to feel this certain way. I have the right to have a bad attitude. I have a right to have my preference and set my own schedule. You say, no, 
I want to bring this into the captivity of Jesus. I want, to be, I, want to be, I want to surrender. I want to deny myself and to think thoughts that are for others, that are generous, that are loving, that are kind, that reflect the goodness and the patience and the hope and that, that are gentle. And, and it's, it's really a Philippians 4.8. Scripture says to set your thoughts on things that are pure and noble and praiseworthy and good report. So don't think you're to set your thoughts on negative things and but rather set your thoughts on, on the character and nature of God and his word. And you watch how your lives and your thoughts and your, your, what you speak will change. So it really comes down to you. It comes down, well, you may say, well, what does the altar have to do with me? Isn't that an Old Testament thing that they would bring sacrifices on the altar? Well, the writers of the New Testament would make the altar a fix. Uh, it, would be, it would be very figurative and, and Paul would write in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and pleasing and perfect. So when you are laying yourself on the altar of God as a living sacrifice, you're saying, Lord, I surrender to you. I deny myself of things that would focus on me. And I want to know your mind, your will on decisions that I make on the good of other people, my, my spouse, my children. But, but it really starts with you, doesn't it? It starts when you have that moment where you're surrendering. And again, not to do it just on a Sunday or, or one time when you get saved, but this is meant to be continual. This is, so what would it look like if you daily did this? When you rose out of your bed and you spent time saying, God, I want to honor you. The very first part of this day, I want to give to you. Lord, help me to have your mind. Fill my, my mind and my heart with your, with your word. That's what it means to understand the cross, to understand that there's a cost. And third, in this passage, and looking at the words of Jesus, we must understand that there is a commitment. There is a commitment. If you try to hold on to your life, Jesus says you're going to lose it. But if you surrender, you're going to find it. Isn't that a lifelong commitment to Christ? See, there's a difference between just partial commitment and total commitment. Like, you, you don't hold anything back. It's like a, the story of the hen and the hog who, they lived in the same barn, and they heard that the church was going to come up with a new ministry to feed the poor and the hungry. So the chicken said, I, I got an idea. Why don't we, we can do something about this, why don't we provide bacon and the eggs? So the chicken said, hey, I can, I'll do good. I'll, I'll provide the eggs. The chicken, the chicken was, uh, was doing good, right? It, but the hog, the hog showed total commitment, right? It, it sacrificed everything. And so will you just give some? Will you give part? Or will you say, Lord, there's nothing off limits? To follow Christ is a life-changing decision, saying I surrender all. If you don't surrender all, then Lord is not Lord of all. And so what is that one area that you may be tempted to hold back? Would you just obey all that Jesus says? That's what it means to follow him. Nothing's off limits. He says in John chapter 14, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father 
and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 21, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. This is what it means to abide, to spend time in the presence of the Lord, not to be in a hurry, not to just give a few minutes in the early morning, but just be to realize that we can walk in the presence of the Lord. We can walk in the spirit. We can be aware of the Lord and in continual conversation to pray without ceasing means to continually allow the praise of God to be on our lips, to, to walk in a spirit of gratitude, to be sensitive that he's bringing people in our life that we can share our faith, that we can encourage, that being aware of the presence of the Lord in his kingdom. How? Again, it's through his grace. It's through his grace. But what often happens is that the enemy in this world and through our own selfish desires and lusts of the eyes and lust of the flesh, we get distracted. We're not able to see Jesus clearly. But when we humble ourselves, say, God, I'm gonna make this a, an altar time where I'm a living sacrifice and I wanna see you clearly. I wanna obey what you would want me to do. I wanna give up what you want me to give up. Nothing is off limits. So this is a great time at the beginning of the year where traditionally we would call you to a time of fasting, time of prayer, to withdraw and deny things of yourself so you can give more time to the Lord in prayer and through scripture. And so today I'm calling you to a, a church fast or to deny yourself. Last year, I invited you to join our entire staff to do a Daniel fast. And the Daniel fast is when you would do away with, with meats and, and sweets and, uh, and just do vegetables for 21 days fruits and things like that. But this fast, I just want you to just really follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and be obedient. Make a commitment to the Lord wherever he would lead you. A fast is to do without something of, of need. So maybe food or it could be a, a meal in a certain time of week or maybe every Wednesday you're going to fast. However the Holy Spirit would guide you in this. Maybe you're going to give up Netflix and all TV. Just turn it off for 21 days. The Lord lays that on your heart. I encourage you to do that. Maybe you'll join me personally. I, the Lord has said, I want you to do a digital detox. So for the next 21 days, no social media, no news. I'm just getting away with that for the purpose of spending more time with God. There's a difference, okay? If you're just fasting certain kind of food and you're not spending more time with God and prayer and the word of God, it's just a diet, right? And so what would it look like if as a church family, we're coming together, we humble ourselves and we spend more time with the Lord to seek his will, to listen to him, to be consumed with his, his, his son, Jesus, and whatever he asks us to do, even as a, if we come together as a church family, I believe that this is going to be a year of great opportunity. The Lord's going to lead us and guide us. We're going to see an awakening. We're going to see the spirit move in a powerful way, but it's going to start because we humble ourselves in the presence of the Lord and we pray. Pray and seek his face.